It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Pocket drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown, Raiders! It's by Cliff Branch! The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch. All summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler plays fake back to pass. Gets a big rush out. He'll cut the man. Stabler's throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. The 10. Touchdown Raiders! What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. JT with you as we're paying tribute to Cliff Branch all summer here on the flagship. Of the Silver and Black, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, Big news today, which is trending. Jeremy Fowler and ESPN put together a list of the top 10 quarterbacks. Executives, coaches, and players make their picks, and they don't have Derek Carr in the top 10, which I don't think is the end of the world. I think Derek Carr is right about there. He's right about there, anywhere from 9, 10, 11, or 12, and this is clickbait. Why am I talking about clickbait? Because this is the flagship of the Raiders, and other shows are talking about it, and here's the numbers, and everybody should be defending Derek Carr. Now, if you look at these players that are ranked ahead of Derek, and welcome back, everybody. We're brought to you by our great friends at Grimaldi's, best pizza I ever have. I went away to uh, excuse me, Park City this weekend. Before I went, I bought two Brooklyn Bridge pizzas, put it in the refrigerator for my sons. They devoured it as always. It's incredible how much we love Grimaldi's. Head on out to any of the locations here in the Valley. Grimaldi's, proud partner of our show. So back to this list of elite quarterback or not, when is Derek going to be able to wake up and not have to deal with this? When is this going to end? And it's only going to end when he wins a playoff game. No, he doesn't have to. I disagree with you, Bobby. He doesn't have to win. He doesn't have to win a Super Bowl. He's got to win a playoff game. So here is the new list, according to anonymous executives and people around the NFL. And Jeremy Fowler and those on ESPN. Oh, by the way, this was behind their paywall. And don't let me say, by the way, Bobby, I don't, I don't usually do that. I, it's a bad habit. Other people, that's all they just say. So when you look at this top 10 quarterback list, I think it's pretty close to accurate, but I would have had Derek over Dak Prescott at number 10. So it comes in at number 10, Dak of the Dallas Cowboys. At number 9, Deshaun Watson. Okay, Deshaun Watson who's about to get suspended. I would have had Deshaun Watson in the top five. That's how great of a quarterback I think he is. Not a great human being from what we're seeing with these civil cases. At number eight, Russell Wilson, Denver, no problem with that. Number seven, Justin Herbert of the Chargers. I'm surprised he's not in the top three for the love fest that there is for Herbert all over the NFL media. At number six, Matthew Stafford of the Rams. No problem with that. He just won the Super Bowl. At number five, Joe Burrow of Cincinnati. Ooh, The new Joe Burrow, already a top-five quarterback, according to executives in the NFL. Just got into the league, led a team to the AFC Championship game. Number four, Tom Brady. Number three, Josh Allen. Number two, Patrick Mahomes. And number one, Aaron Rodgers. Where the hell is Lamar Jackson, the MVP of 2019? How do you not have Lamar Jackson over... Deshaun Watson, who I have in the top five. So I'm looking at this list here, 
And I'm saying, okay, the Raider Nation radio topic of the day is where is Derek Carr? Well, where would Derek Carr be on this list, Raider fans? Where would you put him in the top ten? If you're going to put him in the top ten, who would you remove? You're not removing the MVP, two-time MVP, the last two years, four overall Aaron Rodgers. You're not moving Mahomes. You're not moving Josh Allen. You're not moving Brady. Okay, so that's four. And I wouldn't remove Russell Wilson because I think he's already a Hall of Famer. He's played in two Super Bowls. He's won one. He's a great player. But if you're going to have Derek Carr on this list, you've got to remove Dak Prescott. And then other than that, there's not a lot of room for Derek to come in. But you can push back if you're a Raider fan on Josh Burrow being in the number five position. I would have Justin Herbert ahead of, of Joe Burrow. I have Justin Herbert ahead of Joe Burrow. So when I look at this list, I'm good with Aaron Rodgers being number one. I really am. Aaron Rodgers has won back-to-back MVPs. You're a knucklehead if you don't have him at one. He got the trophy. He got the bleeping trophy of the best quarterback out there. Then you could argue, well, JT doesn't win playoff games at the rate he should. Yeah, you're right. You want Derek Carr on this list in the top ten? He hasn't won a playoff game. Aaron Rodgers gets beat often in the playoffs. He's number one. I would have Mahomes at number two. I would. At number three, I agree with this. I probably, out of respect, would have put Tom Brady at three over Josh Allen. But I have Josh Allen at number four and Brady at three. But here's where my list gets crazy. At number five, I have Lamar Jackson. I have the MVP of Baltimore. He's unbelievable. He can make every throw, and he's about to get paid, and he's his own agent. Then I would have had Russell Wilson. Okay, so if I look at my top five, I would have had Russell Wilson after that. Now, the asterisk goes to Deshaun Watson. I'd have Deshaun Watson in my top ten because I think he's one of the most gifted quarterbacks I've ever seen. He's just he's elite as a passer and a runner. Mahomes is elite as a passer and a runner. I would put Herbert in this group. I would because of the way he's played so far in his upside. I told you the year that the stadium was closed and I was in the stadium, year one, because of COVID, the stadium was closed. Ten quarterbacks played in that stadium. Derek Carr, Marcus Tuiasasopo, Tua, Fitzpatrick. Remember Fitzpatrick played in that game. Tom Brady combined for five touchdowns in that game. Phillip Rivers played in that stadium. Drew Brees opened up the stadium. We talked about the great players, Lamar Jackson, everybody who played in there. And I thought the best quarterback I saw with my own eyes was Justin Herbert. I was there, my opinion. I thought he was better than everybody just because of the way he played. And then last year, Derek Carr beat him in that game, and I thought Derek outplayed him. But I thought Herbert made, again, mind-blowing throws in front of me, right in front of my seat. He made one of the greatest throws I've ever seen, better than Elway, better than Bradshaw, better than anybody I've ever seen. So Herbert would be in my top ten. But I would remove – and, again, I, have to, I don't have to put Joe Burrow in my top ten. What the hell is with this Joe Burrow in the top ten? He had a great year. Top 10? Joe Burrow all of a sudden enters the top 10 over Derek Carr? Okay, well, you could say he went to the Super Bowl. You're right. Raiders should have won that game or could have won that game. But then again, Burrow almost won the Super Bowl. Had the ball in his hands to win the Super Bowl. Burrow's damn good. But the obvious guy that I would replace and put Derek at 10 would be I'd remove Dak Prescott. That's it. And Dallas fans, that would be a debatable topic today. So I think this list, and these are NFL executives, ESPN, it's a big trending story today, and if you want to tie it in, uh, I'll give you a topic. 
if you're tired and it's the summer and you need a nap, we don't need one here on the show. This is a good topic. Where would you put Derek Carr in this? And you can be fair. You can say, hey, JT, I don't have Derek in the top 10. I have him 11 or 12. But I would put Derek in at number 10, and I would remove Dak Prescott. That's it. That's the only thing I have. The rest of the list, I'm pretty good. I would have Lamar Jackson ranked higher than Burrow and Stafford. I'm a big Lamar Jackson guy. I'm also a big Baker Mayfield guy. I like Baker Mayfield, too. I like good quarterbacks, and we got a damn good one here in Vegas. But I believe that Derek Carr, with all these game-winning fourth-quarter comebacks and what Derek has been able to accomplish in these 4,000-yard seasons, that I think Derek deserves to be in the top 10. What do you believe, Raider Nation, is holding Derek Carr out of the top 10 from an ESPN NFL executive vote? Real vote. This isn't made-up stuff, everybody. Uh, Here's the process ESPN put out. Voters gave us the best 10 players at a position. Then we compiled the results and ranked candidates based on number of top 10 votes, composite average, hundreds of interviews, oh, wink, wink, hundreds of interviews, research, and film study. In total, more than 50 voters submitted to ESPN a ballot on at least one position, and in many cases, all positions. We had several ties, so we broke them with the help of additional voting and follow-up calls with our rankers. And Derek Carr was left out of the top 10. So I just gave you the top 10. I told you I'd put Derek in at 10. No higher than 10, but I got him in my top 10. Do you have Derek in the top 10, and who would you kick out? Again, here's the list. Rodgers 1, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Brady, Burrow. Top 5. Stafford, Herbert, Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Dak. I agree with that entire list other than 10. The entire list other than 10. I agree with it. I wouldn't have Burrow in my top five. I'd have Burrow at like seven or eight. I wouldn't have Russell Wilson at number eight. I'd have him at number six. And this list left out Lamar Jackson. When you take a look at Lamar Jackson, I think you could put an asterisk against Deshaun Watson because of missing football and going to miss this year and put Lamar Jackson in and Derek Carr and put the asterisks on Deshaun Watson. So for you Raider fans at 702-365-9200, couple things to talk about. Number one, does this piss you off that Derek isn't getting that respect in the top ten? Number two, who would you throw out of the top ten and say that Derek is as good, if not better than, that Derek deserves to be in the list and this player needs to be out? And, and finally, the big one, we mentioned every quarterback in the AFC West in this top list except for Derek Carr. So this is why the conversation becomes Derek Carr is the fourth-best quarterback in the AFC West. I don't have a problem with that if Derek's in the top 10 total. If you have four AFC quarterbacks in the top 10 and Derek's the fourth, I'm good with that. I'm agreeing with that. I'm pretty much agreeing with that on the Raider flagship. I'd have Dak Prescott out. I'd have Derek at 10. And I would have Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes all ahead of Derek because my brain is working. I have to do that. But other than that, I don't know. It's a really tight list here. And it's a Raider topic because... You don't come to the defense of this quarterback when lists like this come out and you're not able to figure it out and kind of plot him somewhere. And I know there are Raider fans, unfortunately, on Raider websites agreeing with this list, and they don't think Derek deserves to be in any list until he wins a playoff game. 
And Derek knows this, and that's why I don't think Derek sits around at night looking at a top 10 list on his whiteboard in his kitchen. With the little kids running around, and Derek just got off the golf course and worked out eight hours a day. I don't think he has, or maybe Derek does. Maybe he has an office where he puts this list up, and that that motivates him. We're never going to find that out, but I think he should get more respect on this show. 702-365-9200 as we continue here. And I'm only going to take good calls today, Bobby. Period. Okay, so I'm I'm worked up today. We're trying to with this Clip Branch thing. We're trying to get Raider fans going today. I'm going to NBA Summer League with my sons after the show. I'm in a reasonably good mood on this. So let's keep it going. We have two more guests coming up that I like a lot. Mark Anderson will join us in Baseball Insider. Maury Brown. I thought this was a good piece of sound from Tyreek Hill of Miami. He never said this stuff. He never talked up much in Kansas City. Now he's talking to Miami all the time. And he's putting pressure on his quarterback, Tua, to have a big year. No, nah, believe this or not, man. You know in the NFL they only give you like two to three years to be a successful quarterback, especially if you're a first-round draft pick. And if you if you don't succeed after those years, then it's kick rocks, man. So basically they don't put Tua into that, you know, I feel like. So it's, it's basically his last year, man, just to show people what, what he got. Oh, my God. What a soundbite that is. That's the newest member, one of the highest-paid players in football on a brand-new team telling the quarterback, go kick rocks if you can't do it this year. I don't think that's ever happened in NFL history. Tyreek Hill is one of the few players in the league right now, Gold Jacket Hall of Famer. If he stopped playing today, Tyreek Hill's in the Hall of Fame. No debate. And that guy just threw his quarterback under the bus. Hardcore comments there from him about exactly what's going to happen. How about that? And that's got to cause some controversy there. You don't have to call out your quarterback that way. That's incredible. Absolutely amazing to me that he's able to pull this off. And we got the sound from earlier when I had Amin on. I think Darvin Ham is the new coach of the Lakers now. As he's in town, he's here for Summer League. This was from last night on one of the broadcasts. The new head coach of the Lakers doubled down on Russell Westbrook. In this system, this four-out, one-in system, He's going to have a chance to screen and roll and make plays in the half roll. He's going to have a chance to run on the break, slash, get layup. He's going to have a chance to sprint out to the corner, flatten the defense, get corner threes, as well as the things that he already does well in terms of getting the ball and pushing the pace and pushing the tempo. So I'm excited as hell to have Russell Westbrook on our team. That's from ESPN last night. So that's the head coach of the Lakers basically saying they're all in. They're going to go all in on Russell Westbrook for one more year. And that's a lie. And he's holding the company ground hard because they can't get rid of Russell Westbrook. We have no movement on Kevin Durant. None. Uh, And what that means is the market is weak for Kevin Durant. Uh, Kevin Durant, when he expressed that he wanted to trade out of Brooklyn last week, it broke the internet. Everybody went crazy. And since then, nothing's happened because of what happened with Rudy Gobert going from Utah to Minnesota for four first-round picks. All the other teams around the league are going, we're not doing that for Durant. And Durant's much better than Rudy Gobert. So the fact that Rudy Gobert set the market as four first-round picks, everyone around the league is going, oh, my God, what are they going to want for Kevin Durant? And they're not picking up the phone. Kyrie Irving wants to be a Laker. They can't seem to fit him in unless they give up a big first-round draft pick a couple of years from now. They don't seem to want to bend on that. So Kyrie Irving hasn't moved at all there. And the Blazers announced the contract extension for Damian Lillard. Uh, for two more years. He's one of the highest-paid players of all time. And on top of that move, I think he makes a mistake. He's an Oakland guy. He's a big Raider fan. He's a diehard Raider fan. 
and he's going to be one of the highest-paid basketball players to ever play in the league. So that's an incredible move for me, but I think Damian Lillard, diehard Raider fan, by deciding to stay in Portland, will not win a championship. And he'll, he'll be the, one of the highest-paid players, half a billion dollars, when it comes to salary. Bradley Beal, the same thing in Washington. So would you take the money, or would you take less money to go win? We now know the answer for the great Raider fan, Dame Lillard. He wants the money because he could easily leave. He signed the extension for two more years. He could have told them, no way in hell, I want out. I want to go to Milwaukee with Giannis. They take him in a minute. I want to go to Philadelphia with Harden. They take him in a minute. He is choosing. Raider fan Damian Lillard, who I think the world of, he is choosing to stay in Portland. So that is a definitive answer that he cares more about money than winning. Now, I just did a podcast with Looney, my podcast partner on loyalty. So I'm sure I'm not talking on both sides of my mouth here. There's not enough loyalty in sports. What he did is very loyal to Portland, but they can overpay him. They're overpaying him because he doesn't win championships and they're paying him more to stay. So that's a big topic, and he's a Raider fan. I wish him well. I mean, God, for two years, I think anybody would sign that type of deal. But would you sign the deal knowing that you're never going to win? Because I repeat, never win in Portland. They're not going to win, all right? They're not winning in the in the west of the NBA, and Damian Lillard wants to stay there. 702-365-9200, Mark Anderson, the great writer from the Review Journal. And on top of that, baseball insider from Forbes, Maury Brown, supposed to be with us at the bottom of the hour on the flagship of the Raiders. So it was a fabulous year because during that season, we had traded Kenny Stabler to Houston for Dan Pastorini. And and here was Jim going through the same thing that he went through in 83, being the starter, losing his job for an injury when Mark Wilson take it off. Now he's in the same situation as a backup. And instead of letting him compete for the job, they was giving the job to Pastorini right off the bat. And then at the fifth game of the season, Pastorini got hurt, and Jim took us on this roller coaster ride where we were. He was nine and two as a starter, taking us to the Super Bowl and being MVP of the Super Bowl and then comeback player of the year. It was just a Cinderella story. How great is it to hear Cliff Branch's voice as we count down the summer of Cliff heading into Canton, Ohio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the biggest party maybe in Raider history, attendance wise. In Canton, Ohio, Mark Davis going all in on his best friend, and that is coming up. We often have on Mark Anderson every other Monday. We're thrilled to have the great journalist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal join us. And, Mark, I wanted to start off with Pac-12 realignment and what your sources are telling you with UNLV from the Mountain West as Vegas is developing into a big sports town, a professional sports town, how this could help UNLV on maybe upgrading the conference. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, if if UNLV is going to be considered, it's because of the city. It's not because of UNLV right now. Um, and but I and if UNLV was in a much better position, I think there'd be a lot more buzz about the Rebels possibly joining the Pac-12. I guess now it's going to be Pac-10 for a while. Um, but I'm just, I just that's not the that's not the team that, or the the school that keeps coming up. San Diego State seems to be. Mm-hmm. The leader right now, if if the Pac-12 is going to expand, um, 
uh, from as far as getting a Mountain West team, it looks like San Diego State's the most likely team. It gets it keeps the it keeps the conference in the Southern California market. Uh, all those clearly, San Diego State doesn't have the USC and UCLA reach, but at least they don't completely lose this the Southern California market. They San Diego State, and then I'm not really sure after that. Um, you know, Boise State's market size is so small. And the Boise State football really hasn't been what it was maybe ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if if UNLV does get a serious look, it's because of the city. And but I, I'm not really holding out hope at this point that the, the Pac-12 is going to add UNLV. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I don't think UNLV deserves it, but I think the city does. And I think with the Legion Stadium and the opportunity to be there, and you would think that it would help UNLV out with recruiting, but they haven't been able to prove that yet. And as much as we want Marcus Arroyo, who I think can really do a hell of a job here as a play caller and get this thing going with the right quarterback, then you would just be taking a team and a program that's really struggling to win, and you'd put them in a much tougher conference, which it doesn't take a brain surgeon or a mathematician to know that they'd lose more. It'd just be more difficult competition. So I think staying back and trying to get the program up and winning before an eventual move like that, because, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, Vegas is only going to get bigger, bigger, bigger as a sports market and a sports town. And if UNLV can win in the Mountain West and win seven or eight games, there's always going to be conference realignment. They'd kick another team out and bring them in. Yeah, I, I, it, UNLV is not being asked to go win the Mountain West every year. Right. They just need. They just, yeah, you're right. They just need to be competitive, and the problem is they just haven't been competitive. And then, if, you know, their flagship program basketball has has really been struggling. You know, the 2013 is the last NCAA tournament appearance. I mean, so, you know, at least in years past, they would have that to rely on. They they mm-hmm. don't even have that to rely on anymore. And and you look at the crowds showing up at games. It's it's like they're just there's just not a lot there. So I mean. You could say, okay, they're already in the Las Vegas market, but how much in the market are they really adding? You know, um, and the and the Pac-12 can also just make the argument too. They're already here. You know, they got the the Pac-12 championship here. They're they're going to still, you know, uh, or whatever the the Pac-12 the championship's going to be. If it's going to be Pac-12, ACC, whatever it's going to mm-hmm. be, that's probably still going to be here. You know, they're still in the Las Vegas Bowl. They got the men's and women's basketball uh, tournaments here, so. You know the the commissioner lives here, so I just, I just, I just think I just feel like the Pac-12 already feel, feels like it's here already, and yeah. any UNLV doesn't really help that much in that regard. That's a really good point. You nailed it there. They already feel like they're here. There's already big games here. There's tournament games here. There's special events here. Mark Anderson from the Review Journal, kind enough to join us. I'm biased. I don't want the A's here because I know the A's and the Raiders don't like each other. What happened up in Oakland, I had a front row for that. If they come here, it'll be great for business, be great for sports bars, restaurants, the airport, and all of that. And I get that. That's why I'm almost pulling myself out of the conversation. But I'm one of the only guys in town that know about the Raiders and the A's history recently because I lived it every day on the radio. And now I'm hearing about the Howard Terminal and A's fans. The real A's fans I talk to think this is a sham and a scam, and Dave Cavill still using the positiveness of basically building on the Howard Terminal slot in Oakland as a power play to get to Vegas and have Vegas offer more. You're reporting. What do you see happening here with the A's this summer? Yeah, well, probably over the past month or two, I've, I've really felt that the A's are trying to find a way to get to yes in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. in Oakland. And because and, it seems like every time there's a positive development in the Bay Area, the A's response is yes, but. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it just strikes me that they're really trying to make a deal here. Now, it may be possible they wind up staying where the – 
the public money just doesn't come through for them in Las Vegas, and and Oakland comes through with enough to convince them that it's just a better deal. But I I think the A's are looking out over the next twenty to thirty years, and where's Oakland going to be? Where's Las Vegas going to be? What's the more exciting market? Uh, they wouldn't have to share a market in Las Vegas. They have to share one with the Giants, which rule the Bay Area, mm-hmm. as you know. And I I just I think that's where their their mindset is, and the fact that the Major League Baseball would would uh, not force not not ask for a, a relocation fee that's basically like getting public money anyway mm-hmm. so i i think that was a huge development and I, and I you know if i i would put my money on these moving here mm-hmm. i don't think it's you know a slam dunk by any by any means but i just i just really get the sense that this is where they want to be yeah i agree with you on that and i don't support it but i agree with you and they could come here and i'm not saying i'm going to be right on this but it's just so much more complicated uh, from a Raider perspective than most people get on this. And sure. I don't know, maybe, maybe no one cares. Maybe I'm the only one who cares about it. Mark Anderson from the Review Journal as we continue on. So the other big thing, NBA Summer League's here, the future of the NBA. I heard through a source that if the NBA does come here, it's similar to the NBA too, what we just said. They don't need Vegas because they do enough here in Vegas. They have Summer League. They have all this. It doesn't benefit the owners with 30 teams to have a team in Vegas. And what I found interesting from what I heard from an individual is like an owner like Steve Ballmer with the Clippers, who's second or 10th fiddle in L.A., why would he want to have a team in Vegas when he can't compete against the Lakers in L.A. and he's trying to build the brand, and if Vegas comes on the scene and explodes and does well, it doesn't look good for the Clippers, and he's the richest owner in the sport. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think all the owners are the mindset that if they're going to expand – they better be making more money out of mm-hmm. this. Yeah, and right now they're not there. They, they've done they've done the research. Is adding Las Vegas and Seattle doesn't give, doesn't bring extra money to each owner. Um, so they're they don't really see. That's why that's why there's no appetite to expand right now in the NBA. I do think it's coming at some point. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably more like five ten years down the road. Okay, but it's it's not it's not going to be tomorrow. And and I do think. I will, having said all that, the fact that Tim Lawicki's building an arena south of the Strip, I just have to think they've, he's gotten some sort of assurance from sure. the NBA. And it may not be a flat-out, yes, we're coming, but enough of a wink and nod that if you build that thing, you know, we'll be there eventually. It may not be like the moment the door is open, but it could be – I could see within a couple of years the arena opening that, hey, the NBA is now seeing they're expanding to Seattle and Las Vegas and – they're going to play in, this, uh, in that arena. Yeah, I don't think Tim Wiki comes here and puts that deal together. Monster deal. Former Raider President Mark Bedane involved with that unless they have assurances that the NBA is coming. And I think it's a better fit for the NBA here because the players love it. It's travel easy for the conference and for everybody to get here. And I think it would work better than baseball. Mark, always good to talk to you. Talk to you a couple Mondays from now. Sounds good, JT. Thanks for having me on again. You got it. Mark Anderson has some of the best connections. In Vegas as a journalist, we appreciate him coming on. Raider Dave out in Denver. Thanks for waiting. Good to hear from you, Dave. Hey, I'd always love to uh, you know, argue a point, but you're so right on about this top ten in car. I'm not even going to say anything except you've done your research and you're spot on. But I had a couple-minute story about Branch, if you want. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, Living in Albuquerque a few years, working in radio about you know, ten years ago, um, I stopped into a Walmart. I had no idea he was there. I quickly picked up a plant for my wife, and I was trying to get out. And I'm up at the counter, and the woman ahead of me has this 8 by 10 signed picture. And I said, like, where the heck did you get that? She goes, right over there. And I'm like, holy crap, break my neck, look over. 
And I'm like, I got to go see him. She's like, do you want to get one for your son? I said, sure. So my 10-year-old son was with me, and I'd not want to go ahead and just let him run off with strangers, but that's the beauty of Raider Nation. There's (laughs) trust and love all the way around here. So uh, she takes him over there, and they pick up an 8x10. I walk over, and it's already been paid for by the woman, you know, Raider Nation, and uh, I talked with them, and I told them, I said, hey, I've got another son, and I've got one of your jerseys. I'm going to bring both my sons back tomorrow, get my other son a, uh, an 8x10, and you can see my Blitnikoff jersey on one of them and my, uh, my childhood jersey of yours on the other. He's great. Come on back. So we had a blast. We hung out in there. It got pictures of the boys with the ring, talked to him a little bit. And the one question I always wanted to ask him or Blitnikoff, and I yet have met Freddie, is how come – when you're you run an out route, only the Raider receivers were something that I have ever seen double back on the route towards the center of the field. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's what Flores taught us. And he was just wow. absolute, the most genuine guy. It was perfect. I kind of question, with the schedule of the Hall of Fame, how many of the current players are going to be able to, to you know, be at this event? Well, the Raiders will be there because they play on Thursday, and I'm assuming that they won't be there and stay for the event because I don't know, but I, I think they have to get back. I'm sure some will stay back. I don't know what the staff will do, but that's the first preseason game they play on Thursday, and I would assume that they're going to leave right after on the flight out of Canton after the game unless there's something that I can report on, which I don't know. But there'll be so many former players and former teammates. Mark Davis pretty much invited anybody who played with Cliff. Which yeah, he no, must be renting out an entire hotel. Yes, that, that's, that's confirmed. So I uh, appreciate the call, Dave. Thanks for sharing that story. It's amazing. You hear these stories about Cliff at grocery stores and Walmart. Why did he do that? Because that's how he made money. Uh, I talk to Pete Rose about this all the time. Why does Pete Rose sign autographs all the time? That's how he makes his living. And he was making a living. You know, he's out of baseball. Cliff made some money as a football player, but in that era, you didn't make a lot. And Cliff was an ambassador to the Raiders. And Cliff always felt like every fan was equal. He did. So he'd sign in a Walmart. He'd sign in a grocery store. He'd sign in a Raider image. He'd sign everywhere because he was able to interact with people. So when Cliff passed away in Arizona, in between a signing, it's like, man, that's pretty deep. I mean, Cliff was working and signing and passed away back at the hotel when that happened. That was really confusing for me. But then it, when it sunk in, I understood what he was doing. He was doing what he loved. I wish I knew some fans who were at his last signing. And to, to interview him, the last people to see Cliff Branch, because I'm sure it was the same as always. Pictures with the rings, telling stories, signing making some money, going back to the hotel, looking at his calendar, and going to the next city. That's what he wanted to do. And I I really believe that Cliff in Vegas was the perfect storm. If he would have lived and would have been able to live with us for another 10 or 20 years, he would have been the ambassador of the Raiders in Las Vegas, side-by-side with Mark Davis, George Atkinson, Marcel Reese, and all the people that Mark hang out with. Remember, Mark Davis hangs out with his friends. His friends happen to be Raider legends. And that's why he's putting on this party in Canton, Ohio, which is going to be great. Quick baseball hit on the other side with the All-Star game around the corner. It is baseball season. Maury Brown will join us from Forbes. I'll follow up with him and ask him about the A's situation and what's happening up north or what's happening in Vegas. The Summer Eclipse, 702-365-9200, waiting on Deshaun Watson news. I would think by Wednesday or Thursday of this week, the judges had that in their hands, looking at rebuttals and listening and reading everything on this case. Maybe we'll have something for you later this week.
Branch to the left, Bolitnikov to the right, Stabler back to pass again from midfield, throwing a deep bomb, going to Branch against Livers, Livers knocks it down, Branch catches it, touchdown Raiders, holy Toledo, what else can happen here on the Lake Michigan Riverfront in Chicago, Livers went up, looked like he had the interception at the five, it popped out of his hands, and Branch made the catch and skipped home for six. Oh, I love that. Bill King, Summer of Cliff Branch. JT, we're turning it into a party. Kenny King will join us on Wednesday and then more and more Cliff's teammates as we count down to Canton, Ohio. Uh, Maury Brown will join us from Forbes in a moment. Gangster Raider, thanks for calling into the flagship. You're up next. Go ahead. Bad now. I've got to say what's up to Billy King and Kenny King because my last name is King, too, so it's a King thing. But I agree with you on the um, the um, list, the ranking about Derek Carr. But I'm liking it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I appreciate it because I think Gar Carr got too many accolades when he first came out. Remember how he made the first the hundred, you know, top hundred players the first couple of times he was in the league? I think he got too many accolades too much. So I think the people like Brett Favre coming out and saying that um Devontae's gonna have a drop, people not listening to him in the top ten, I think all this is gonna put fire up under them and we're gonna get a motivated Derek Carr. A motivated, aggressive, highly accurate Derek Carr, because think about it. He has a number one wide receiver in the NFL, one of the top two um, tight ends in the NFL, the number one slot receiver in the NFL, and um, a, a top five running back. You know what I'm saying? So I think with all that and um, a highly motivated um, Josh Jacobs, I mean Josh McDaniels, because people doubt him because of the Denver thing, and nobody has any tape on us. You know what I'm saying? So I think the first three or four games, until they actually get video footage to study us, we'll have an advantage against the league. And um, with Derek Carr having a chip on his shoulder and all his fire up under, especially Brett Favre, he wears number four because of Brett Favre. So if the guy who you wear your number four come out questioning you and saying you're not as good as this other guy who you just got your best friend from him, I think we're going to get a highly motivated Derek Carr. And thanks for all this doubting him because I bet $100 with 41 odds nice. that he went MVP. So I think all this doubting is going to win me $4,000 off $100. Because Derek Carr is going to come out motivated, highly motivated. Him and Jackman Dad is going to be highly motivated. And this is going to um, perpetuate him to win multiple playoff games. You know, yep. I think we make it, if not to the um, I mean, if not to the Super Bowl, at least to the AFC Championship Got game. It. And you heard it here from Gangster Raiders. Shout Thank out you. to Cliff Branch. You know what I'm saying? I'm gone. Yeah, appreciate it. That's not a bad bet because if you're betting on Carr making the playoffs, just making the playoffs in that division – He's got to be an MVP candidate. Has to be. All right, Maury Brown kind of, I'm excited he's here. I haven't talked to Maury in about a month or two. Baseball insider from Forbes. And we're excited to have him on. Maury, last night, big comeback for Boston to steal two on the back end of the Yankees. How'd you see that series? Well, it was incredible. I mean, they'd had 26, they'd given up 26 hits in the 10 games prior. And they gave up 27 in this four-game series with the Red Sox. Um, you know, I think it actually speaks largely to the Red Sox. I mean, suddenly they just seem to come out of nowhere and, and figure out how to hit the ball. I mean, J.D. Martinez broke out of a major slump as part of this thing, too. So, you know, is it, am I looking at it kind of a situation with the Yankees being down? I mean, Aaron Boone thought he was getting some bad calls to the plate and gets the ejection and everything to get everybody fired up. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they move on and go into the next series. But, look, they're, they're sitting there with a, a healthy lead still. Um, is it going to evaporate like we're, we're kind of seeing with the Mets right now? I, I don't know. I mean, again, it, I think it was surprising just to watch the Red Sox claw their way back in the back end of both of these last two games. 
Yeah, I think the Yankee lead is safe. What concerns me as a Yankee fan is they're going to have to play Boston and Houston in the playoffs in both those teams. Boston doesn't have their number per se like Houston does, but neither team is intimidated at all by the Yankees and Cole and anybody there. They, they respect Judge and Stanton and all that, but Red Sox and Astros want the Yankees. They, they can kind of look forward to playing them in the postseason. And I think Yankee fans realize that. We've seen enough of Boston the last 10, 15 years in the postseason. And Houston, I think they're better than the Yankees top to bottom when they're playing better. Yeah, Houston would be the team I would worry about. I really do. I mean, the Boston's been kind of streaky, right? I mean, they plummet yeah. and then they streak up, right? I mean, they've been pretty inconsistent. The Astros, on the other hand, have been freaking lights out. And so when you get into something like that, I, it really does. And, I mean, they have seemed to have the Yankees' number. And so, no, I don't think they're intimidated at all. So if you're a Yankee fan, yeah, I'd be worried about the Astros right now. Maury Brown is our guest. Maury, a topic I'm really big on is that James Harden – can opt out and then opt in, and Kyrie Irving can opt into a deal and now say he wants to play in L.A., and we see the entitlement of NBA players under contract saying, I'm in a bad situation, I'm out of here, and I don't care what you think, you're going to trade me. Well, how come Mike Trout doesn't act that way? Why doesn't Trout have the leverage that Harden and Kyrie and Anthony Davis had in New Orleans to say, this is a train wreck. I have Otani and me. We can't win. We got swept by the Orioles. I at least have to start the conversation of getting out of this. Someone taking on this contract. Is that plausible? Yeah, you know, it's an odd thing. I mean, you see it in the NFL too, right? I mean, you see right. it kind of all the time, and it's, and it's odd that we don't see it in baseball. Um, I, I think much of it may be due to the fact that, um, you know, most of, you know, all the money is guaranteed. So there is a little bit of that, but it's, I mean, it's a great question. I, I don't want to tempt fate. Good gosh. I just would rather not see that in baseball. Would I like to see Mike Trout on, in a winning program, you know, on a winning team? Yeah. And Otani the same way. I mean, you know, <clears throat> the Orioles are clearly, you know, developing and looking a lot better, but I mean, they got trounced and I mean that that's not the team you want to get trounced by. You want to be sitting there, you know, in a dog fight with the Astros and they're just not there. Maury Brown joins us at BizBall. Maury, Maury where, where do you stand on Paul Holtz getting an all-star appearance with these stats, batting two fifteen? I mean, we all know what it is, and I'm not against having a celebratory moment and a grand moment for him, but can't you do it before the game and have him come out on the field and tip his cap? Does he get to add another all-star appearance to his legacy when he gets introduced at the Hall of Fame with an extra appearance there? This is the yeah. tradition yeah, of the game. Is- it's a it's a it's a legitimate question and sorry to interrupt but it's i've been giving this one a lot of thought jt and i I think the thing about it is is that um i i i sat there and bemoaned the all-star selection for the longest time and that all went out the window when this turned into a doggone you know every team has a social media program and it's largely the fans and it's all-star it's in the actual name right i mean i guess it should be that way I do, you know, if, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to have certain players, this legacy thing, and certainly the Manfred is going to do, as long as it doesn't remove other players, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. I mean, if you want to see Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera on the way out the door and give them a great send-off as part of this thing, fine. You know, I, I don't see a problem with that. I really don't. Because, again, the game has, I think, changed dramatically. I mean, you look at what Rose and Fossey had happen, right? You're yeah. never going to see that again. It's not that way at all. It is largely, you know, it's 
it's not as exhibition-y as the NBA and certainly not the NFL. And it's still, I think, the best out of all of them. But it's always a conversation about, you know, I mean, it's loaded with a whole bunch of Yankee players, and you know, and we've got a bunch of Dodger players, and it'll always kind of be that way. So, you know, again, I, I'm kind of rolling with it. Um, I don't like that it is one of those things that um, affect player contracts. That is a part of it. But again, I, I think the argument can always be made there that if they're an all-star and they bring people in through the gates, well, even if their numbers don't bear it out, there's something worth you know giving them a bonus as part of their contracts. Maury, should we be talking big about uh, buying and selling at the all-star break? Because adding the third team, when we look at the wild card, keeps everybody involved on the bottom end. So you have to look and say, if the playoffs started, Atlanta, San Diego, Philly would be your wild cards. And then you have St. Louis and San Francisco on the outside looking into the wild card, not their divisions, and their big market team. Well, St. Louis isn't big market, but super successful National League franchise. They normally don't sell, and San Francisco doesn't have many money problems. So I'm interested to hear from you who you think is going to be a buyer, and some of these teams are going to try to sell off everybody. The Angels should unload everybody other than Trout and Otani to try to regroup next year. Who should we look forward to as buyers and sellers? Well, I hate to say this because it's, you know, the usual suspect, but certainly the Pirates. You know, it always seems to be the Pirates and the Royals, you know, to a lesser extent. Uh, I would look at them as, as as sellers, right? The buyers right now, the one that's been really surprising and has kind of flown under the radar nationally has been the, the Mariners. I mean, they're tied with the Blue Jays now in the wild card, which seemed unfathomable, you know, just a while back. They're now a few games over 500. You know, I think they're nine and one. You know, they've won eight straight. Mm-hmm. I think that they're buyers. They will absolutely Jerry Depoto and wants to break that futility record, horrible futility record that they're going to try and get out of. But you do mention it. I mean, I, I you look at it and and given how streaky some of these teams are, right? I mean, you mentioned it. How close? You know, here the Braves are a game and a half behind the Mets, and you can look at up and down where division races are just out of control. There's like no chance in this world that in some of these divisions, somebody is going to win them. I mean, again, the Yankees are, you know, they're double digits up on, on the Red Sox. So, but you go and flip over to the wild card and there's almost, seems like almost everybody has the capacity to do it, depending on how some streaky some of these teams are. So I think the problem is really trying to find the, the sellers. I think, everybody or most everybody is going to be a buyer. And I think that that was largely the idea. They didn't want to dilute it. The players association didn't want to dilute it by adding in. There would have basically been four teams that would have been added. They didn't want that. So the you know, owners got two, but it's had that effect. I mean, suddenly, you know, there are trades going on and there's activity. So uh, I'll be interested to see. It's almost, it's really hard for me to get a pulse on it. Maury, last one. I'm in Vegas, as you know, and you're with Forbes. Walk me through what's going to happen with the A's. A lot of people, including me, don't want them here. They help run the Raiders out. The Raiders weren't perfect in Oakland, as you know, but the A's signed that 10-year lease, and the Raiders had to go. Wasn't going to work at the Coliseum, and now they're flourishing financially here, flourishing in Vegas, and now Oakland wants to come with their tail between their legs to Vegas because they can't sell any tickets in Oakland, and our triple-A team here in Vegas outdraws the Oakland A's in Oakland. This Howard Terminal and the location of that compared to what they could do in Vegas. What are you hearing at Forbes? What do you think the A's do? Where do they end up? 
Well, I think the difficulty with Vegas is largely that it's already oversaturated. I mean, at the NBA, yeah. given how long it is and how much time it takes to build ballparks, I think the NBA could eat, maybe beat MLB out there. Well, then right. you're oversaturated. And 81 dates, 81 dates for baseball is entirely different, certainly different than the NFL and much different than the NBA or the NHL, right, which is already there. So there is that. Um, the situation in Oakland is just, it, it's just really a political quagmire. It seems to have some momentum right now. So, of course, the A's are doing the thing that happens with all of these things, which is let's leverage one thing or keep our options open or however you want to do it. But I wouldn't see them succeeding there. Or maybe I should say it this way. Success may look a little bit different if the A's wound up there. And by that, I mean what John Fisher, the owner of the A's, wants is a big, you know, ballpark village or ancillary development around it so hey man if ten thousand people is like a big night for an a's game in las vegas but there's a bunch of activity a casino or who knows what developed around it then he'll make the money on the on outside of baseball related revenue it's 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 really tricky it's a you know business of baseball thing when the A's make money as playing the A's baseball games, that's the money that we see for their salaries for what they say they're making on those books. But if you develop around the ballpark and people come to the games and then spend money in restaurants or whatever, that does not go on those books. Those books would be entirely separate and not be considered baseball-related revenue. So that's why John Fisher is going to the mat on this thing, either at the Howard Terminal, and I guarantee you it'll be a large development if it's in Vegas, but, you know, it seems to have some momentum right now, but all with any of this stuff, any of it, it doesn't happen until you're right at the wire. You always say, don't, you know, it isn't happening until a shovel's in the ground, and we're a ways off on that. Great to talk to you, Maury. I always appreciate your work you do. We'll have everyone follow you at Bizball, Maury. Look forward to talking to you after the All-Star break. Thanks for doing this. All right, JT, you take care of yourself. Thanks so much. You too, buddy. Appreciate it. Maury, thanks. Good baseball insider. Before I get out of here, Virgin Hotels Las Vegas, Sal Volcano is best known for creating and starring in True TV's long-running hit in Practical Jokers. Great show in the Misery Index on TBS. He is there. He will be at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas July 15th. Have a laugh out loud Friday here with Sal. Doors open at 7 p.m. Comedy, entertainment, the Ilaria pool, everything you like, the restaurants, including olives, one steak. It's there at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. And go see one of the funny men coming to Vegas from Staten Island. Sal will put on an unbelievable show if you're looking for a great night. July 15th, uh, doors open at 7 p.m. JT, thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio.